Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. If you are a jazz singer or musician, you're probably familiar with a series of publications called The Real Book. They were originally put together in the mid-1970s by some Berklee College of Music students in Boston, partly as a way to make some money and probably also so they could have some standard melodies and chords to use during jazz jams. No royalties were paid. They were a slight improvement over previous so-called fake books, where only lyrics and chords were presented. Calling it the real book was a play on words, real being the opposite of fake. In 2004, music publisher Hal Leonard obtained the rights to most of the tunes contained in the original real book and published the first legal edition, calling it the real book sixth edition but he deleted 137 tunes that were in the original, and he added 90 new ones. While most of the tunes are what we might call jazz standards, a number of them are songs that very few people ever play. I've been going through my own Real Book 6th edition, trying out each tune, practicing some, and flipping through others pretty quickly. I've selected here a few obscure ones, some of which I quite like and want to learn, and others that are simply curiosities. So playing recordings of them and talking about them in this program gives me a chance to explore them, starting with one written in 1968 by pianist Stanley Cowell, who's still around today. It's called Equipoise. Equipoise means a balance of forces or interests. From a 1974 album called Musa Ancestral Streams, here is Stanley Cowell.
While the people who put together the original real book remained anonymous, guitarist Pat Matheny claimed that while teaching at Berklee College of Music in Boston from 1973 to 74, one of his guitar students and one of Gary Burton's vibraphone students invented the idea of assembling the anthology that would form the real book. There are a few Pat Matheny tunes in the original, as well as in the sixth edition of the real book, and I personally, in trying to play them on piano, find them really difficult. And unless you are a diehard Matheny fan, they're probably not pieces that you'd be fooling around with too much. I uh, found a particularly lovely version of one of those Matheny real book tunes performed by bass guitarist Norbert Domling and seven-string guitarist Juraj Galan from Germany, and that's from a 1987 duet album called Playing for Love. The tune is called Unity Village. Here it is.
In the real book, there are a number of tunes written by bassist Steve Swallow, and none of them can really be called standards that jazz artists frequently play. They do cover many different styles, however, but the question arises, how did they get there? Well, at the time that the first real book was put out in the mid-1970s, Steve Swallow was an instructor at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, and the people that anonymously put together this real book were students of the college. The book was totally illicit. Steve Swallow was asked if he would contribute some of his tunes, and even though he would get no royalties, he said yes, figuring it would be good publicity. Apparently, Swallow also helped to edit the original real book, and even though the book, which now does give royalties to the composers, has gone through a number of revisions with tunes being added and deleted, it is still Steve Swallow heavy. Here is one of the best known of the tunes, even though it's still not one that's commonly played. This is the best known version from a 1970 album on Atlantic, simply called Gary Burton and Keith Jarrett. It was produced by Joel Joel Dorn and features uh, Jarrett not just on electric piano, but on soprano saxophone as well. Burton, of course, is on vibes. The composer, Steve Swallow on bass guitar, Sam Brown on guitar, and Bill Goodwin drums. Como en Vietnam translates as as in Vietnam. And it starts out with a Cuban-style montuno, a repeated phrase with a Latin tinge. One person online commented about the irony of a Yankee writing a Cuban song about Vietnam. Here it is. An interesting tune, I think, and one I could see myself learning. Como and Vietnam.
Well, you know, there is one writer who has more tunes in the real book than anybody else, including Steve Swallow. It's the Broadway musical composer Richard Rogers, who, uh, with lyricist Lorenz Hart and later Oscar Hammerstein, uh, wrote uh, so many great tunes. Here's one of them. It's in the real book that may not get recorded as often as others. It's a rendition by Brazilian piano and singing sensation Eliane Elias. Blue Room from 2013 with Mark Johnson on bass. relatively modern jazz composer who is prominent in the real book with almost as many compositions placed as Steve Swallow is the great tenor and soprano saxophonist Wayne Shorter. He first gained prominence as a member of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, then with Miles Davis, and he's probably best known today as a founding member of the jazz fusion group Weather Report. Here is one of his compositions from 1964 called Yes and No. And the version I'm going to play? Well, this might surprise you, but it's by the Royal Tars, an offshoot of the Naden Band of the Royal Canadian Navy out of Victoria. This is, a, is an arrangement by saxophonist Roy Steiff, who also plays tenor sax, with Michael Broadley and Miguel Valdez de la Holtz, better known in Victoria jazz circles as Miguelito Valdez on flugelhorn. Oliver Neron Bilodeau is on piano, Ross McDonald bass, and Darren Gordon on drums. Wayne Shorter's Yes and No. Yes and No. 
Continuing with relatively obscure tunes found in the real book, 6th edition. This book is the Bible for many student jazz players, even though it's been criticized for having wrong chords and wrong melodies at times. 
This next one was composed by pianist John Lewis from the Modern Jazz Quartet and recorded December 23rd, 1954. It's called Django, and while it doesn't sound anything like the gypsy jazz that Django Reinhardt played, it was composed after Lewis heard about the death of Django, who he considered a close friend, so it's filled with a lot of sadness. The original real book only had the chords for the 20 bar dirds that Lewis used to open and close the piece. The sixth edition, however, does expand it by placing the chords for 32 bars worth of soloing. Here is the Modern Jazz Quartet from 1954, featuring John Lewis on piano, Milt Jackson vibraphone, Percy Heath double bass, and Connie K drums. And while Django is one of the best known of the pieces. It's still not one that I believe gets called out a lot at jam sessions, and probably not a standard in the sense that it's well known by the listening public, but like most Lewis compositions, it's well constructed and well worth our time. Let's give a listen.
Django with John Lewis and the Modern Jazz Quartet. Next, Chelsea Bridge. This Billy Strayhorn tune is actually quite popular with jazz players, even if not too many non-jazz players know it. But even with jazz players, it took a number of years to catch on. And it was mainly thanks to Ben Webster, who kept it in his repertoire throughout his career, that it became a jazz standard. Billy Strayhorn wrote a number of great tunes with and for Duke Ellington. Here is a 1995 recording of Chelsea Bridge by one of my favorite pianists, Ahmed Jamal, with Ephraim Woolfolk on bass. It's from an album called I Remember Duke, Hoagie and Strayhorn. Thank you. 
Billy Strayhorn's Chelsea Bridge, first recorded by Duke Ellington in 1941 and here interpreted in 1995 by Ahmad Jamal. Let's stay with Ellington music and some of his most challenging compositions. This one is the very first song in the real book, 5th edition, and was also the first piece in the original real book, yet it's still not one that many jazz musicians play today. It's a truly beautiful composition called African Flower, or Florette Africaine, as it was titled in the original 1962 album called Money Jungle. Ellington formed a trio with some younger musicians, Charles Mingus and Max Roach, and this record was the only one this trio made. The tunes were difficult, so much so that Mingus got really frustrated and walked out. Ellington commented to Roach, I guess we're a duo now. Roach convinced him to get Mingus back, so he went after him and told him how wonderful he was playing. Mingus cried and came back. As you listen to what is to what uh, Mingus is doing on bass, you can see that this is pretty magical, as was the piece. Ellington described it as a vision of a beautiful flower blooming seen only by God. Here is Duke Ellington with Charles Mingus and Max Roach, African Flower. Thank you. 
Isn't That Pretty? Duke Ellington on piano with Max Roach on drums and Charles Mingus on bass. African Flower, one of the real book obscurities that I'm featuring in this program and I'll be featuring in a couple subsequent, subsequent programs. Time for one more. And it was written by a Canadian, and one who not many people know was born in Canada, as he did live most of his life in the U.S. I'm talking about the famous orchestrator and composer, Gil Evans, whose arrangements were so much a part of what is called third-stream music, that bridge between jazz and classical. He was very much involved in Miles Davis's Birth of the Cool sessions, had later arranged the famous Sketches of Spain album that turned Miles onto people who didn't necessarily like jazz but appreciated classical and Spanish music. This Gil Evans piece from 1964, which is in the real book, certainly has a Spanish and avant-garde classical flavor. It's called Las Vegas Tango, and looking at it in the real book gives you absolutely no idea as to what an interesting piece it is, as the notation really only presents a total of two chords in the whole piece, which is actually accurate, since uh, as typical of a lot of modal jazz, it only revolves around a couple chords, but all the other interesting rhythmic things that are going on within the piece. You know, it, uh, it, I guess it's hard to present it in a, in, a, in a small chart. It's the only Gil Evans piece in the book. It's from a 1964 album called The Individualism of Gil Evans. It features so many amazing and famous jazz musicians that naming them all would take more time than we really can afford right now. And I am running out of time. You're listening to Discovering Jazz, thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters. My name is Larry Sademan, here in Victoria, B.C. I invite you to tune in next week for part two of Real Book Obscurities. Las Vegas Tango, Gil Evans. Thank you.